Welcome to The Week Ahead in Russia, a Radio Free Europe podcast on developments in Russia, its war against Ukraine, and its relations with the rest of the world. I'm Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the Central Newsroom at RFERL, and author of The Week in Russia newsletter. This time, The Week Ahead in Ukraine would be a more accurate title for the podcast. We'll be talking about the situation surrounding the commander-in-chief of Ukraine's armed forces, General Valery Zaluzhny. Uh, I mean, the reports, rumors, and speculation um, that President Volodymyr Zelensky will fire him in the near future. And we'll also be talking about Russia's war on Ukraine more broadly, um, specifically the the potential effects of the continuing uncertainty about further U.S. military aid. And my guest today is eminently qualified to discuss these matters. He has worked in Ukraine for years uh, and is plugged in at many levels. I'm referring to Christopher Miller, Ukraine correspondent for the Financial Times and the author of the book, The War Came to Us, Life and Death in Ukraine. Thanks very much for joining me, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Steve. Good to be back. All right. It's great to have you on the show. It's been some time. Um, Let's start with Zaluzhny uh, or the Zelensky-Zaluzhny situation. Um, If uh, Ukraine's commander-in-chief is shown the door next week, this week, tomorrow, even today, it will have already been uh, somewhat of a drawn-out process. Uh, rumors that he had been had been or was about to be dismissed uh, erupted a week ago, uh, but he remains on the job, and there's been no official confirmation that he's on the way out. Uh, details are murky, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but it seems cl- pretty clear that part of what happened is Zelensky met with Zelensky last Monday evening or night. Some reports say that Zelensky offered him a different post possibly an ambassadorship abroad, and that Zaluzhny declined. Now, several media outlets uh, have reported since then that Zelensky will sign an order dismissing Zaluzhny. Uh, The Washington Post reported, and and others, I believe, reported that the United States has been informed of this. Um, And I believe um, top U.S. officials said that, in fact, the United States has been informed of possible changes, personnel changes. Uh, now, the latest uh, development, at least that I'm aware of in this, is uh, that Zelensky spoke uh, spoke about it. He was asked about um, whether he was going to fire, uh, dismiss Zaluzhny. Uh, this was yesterday, um, pretty, pretty late yesterday. And he said he is thinking about considering uh, a broader shakeup. Uh, he, I, I don't believe he mentioned Zaluzhny's name in his, in his response. He said he was talking. He was thinking about um, a kind of a, a shakeup of of the of uh, high, I forget the the wording, but high state officials suggesting it, it could be you know f- substantially broader than um, than than only um, the commander in chief Zaluzhny. But in any case, um, Zaluzhny's dismissal. Um, would be the biggest change of the military command in Ukraine since Russia began its full-scale invasion on February 24th, 2022, and it could potentially have major repercussions in Ukraine. Zaluzhny is popular, despite the fact that a a major counteroffensive Ukraine launched last year in June um, has fallen far short of its goals. 
And polls show the people's confidence in Zelensky um, has dropped considerably in the past year or so. Uh, and their their concerns um, that Zelensky's dismissal would would uh, harm military morale and and national unity uh, more broadly. So, Chris, uh, two parts to this question. Uh, one, could you take us through what what has led up to this moment? The president and commander in chief have clashed over military mobilization plans. Uh, I'm aware of that, uh, but I imagine there there may be some other factors as well. Uh, and yeah, two, so, every, so, mm-hmm. sorry, I, I cut you off there. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm I'm sorry, Chris. Um, it's kind of the second part of this question is I hate to ask anyone to predict the future, but I'm kind of going to do so in this case based on your reporting and your extensive experience talking to Ukrainian soldiers and civilians and and officials. Do you think Zaluzny will be departing soon, and how serious do you think the repercussions might be? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this this situation, uh, first of all, everything everything you said in, in the introduction there was 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 accurate um, in this in this Italian interview that Zelensky did that was that was broadcast on, on television last night. He didn't use Zeluzhny's name, but he did um, directly respond to the question, which was about about Zeluzhny's um, dismissal and whether he had asked for it by saying that, um, you know, I think he said uh, this was something that um, uh, was in the works, um, and he and he did uh, uh, suggest that he was going to be dismissing Zeluzhny, that it was certainly something he was considering, as my uh, as I and, and other journalists reported last week, um, but that it would also be part of this bigger shuffle. So the the issue with with Zelensky and Zeluzhny uh, is is that you know they have first of all Zeluzhny was appointed by Zelensky, um, and, and he was a bit of a surprise appointment when Zelensky put him in charge of the armed forces of Ukraine um, shortly before the full-scale invasion. Uh, it was 2021, I think late summer 2021, when Zeluzhny was was tapped to, to lead the military. He was widely respected by the rank-and-file military, um, not somebody who was thought of as being the next in line for the position, but someone who had the respect of the soldiers who in in the same way that Zelensky was a fresh face when he was elected president was a fresh face to lead. he had western uh training experience he was not of the uh soviet military era did not come up in the soviet army he was very much a product of of ukraine's more modern uh m- more modern army um he had fought um and, and led uh soldiers in 2014 and and after that so he was he was brought in and viewed with uh, great excitement here. And as you mentioned, he's very popular. <clears throat> uh, his his popularity here in Ukraine is much higher than even the president's. Um, I, I think recent polls have 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 shown that Ukrainians uh, trust him um, much much more than they trust um, any other person or institution in the country. So uh, part of the the tension between the president and his commander in chief is that the commander-in-chief, um, who's not uh, nearly as, as public of a person as the president is, is, is widely popular. Um, popularity is something that Zelensky has, has trouble with, um, uh, unless it's his own popularity. He does not like to outshone by, by others. He views himself as not only the president of, of the country, but, but the public-facing um, person, face of the country. Um, 
Zaluzhny's star has risen dramatically over the years. Uh, and and that that is something that makes Zelensky and his people around him in the presidential office uncomfortable. Um, but tensions between the two really uh, sort of spilled into the open last autumn uh, following Ukraine's uh, failed uh, counteroffensive, which Ukraine had hoped would cut Russia's land bridge to Crimea, would take back a significant portion of territory, and that just didn't happen. So Zelensky has been looking to place blame for the failure of the counteroffensive on someone. Um, I'm hearing that he wants to place some of that blame on Zaluzhny, who we know from uh, uh, reporting that uh, he he had been uncomfortable in the first weeks of the counteroffensive um, with the the number of of his soldiers that were being lost. They were coming up against really, really difficult um, Russian defenses. They were losing a lot of manpower. Um, they were losing Western weaponry. Um, he pushed pause on that counteroffensive while they figured out what to do. Um, over the next few months, the counteroffensive never really um, gained any momentum. And now we are in this position where uh, the Ukrainian military is taking this position of, of active defense. So Zelensky has ordered fortifications to be built across the front lines. Um, he is uh, uh, discussing with uh, his, his commanders um, what to do about uh, what is another major issue, and that is manpower. And this is where Zeluzhny and Zelensky also uh, butt heads. Um, Zaluzhny has told Zelensky that upwards of 500,000 new soldiers are needed um, to continue Ukraine's fight if they plan on um, properly defending themselves, not losing more territory, and possibly even retaking territory in a future counteroffensive. They are going to need battle-hardened, tested, experienced, well-trained, Western-trained um, new troops to replace the tens of thousands of soldiers who have been either killed or wounded on the battlefield. And that number of um, upwards of 500,000 is a number that Zelensky has said he is just not comfortable with. He wants more information about how those soldiers would be used, why so many are, are needed. And there's now a bill being debated in parliament uh, among Zelensky's um, pop, uh, a party there and, and opposition parties about what mobilization could look like, um, but it's a very contentious issue here, and it is certainly one that really has um, caused a lot of tension between Zelensky and Zeluzhny. Uh, the, the other, I think, is um, uh, you know, Zelensky, Zelensky is, is a president who does like change. He you know, being a relative new face himself, he has had several turnovers in government, um, at least two, if I recall, uh, before the full-scale invasion. Um, you know, he actually said in this interview with Italian TV um, that Ukraine, uh, the, the war in Ukraine, is now at a stalemate. Um, this was something that Zeluzhny himself said in uh, an op-ed in The Economist, uh, last autumn, and Zelensky actually came out and castigated him for it and said, you know, I, I disagree with with um, with this idea that we're in a stalemate. But Zelensky has now admitted that uh, Ukraine is facing a stalemate, um, and that he says is because of uh, the the the, the slow the slowed down nature of Western military support um, among 
um, technological challenges on the battlefield. But the country is, um, and the war is, uh, at a relative stalemate, he says. And, uh, you know, he's trying to reboot his military. He's trying to reboot also, I think, his government. And while he didn't mention any any names, um, he did suggest in the interview with, with Italian TV that this is going to be a shakeup that is not only Zaluzhny stepping down, but also um, possibly uh, folks not only from the military um, sector, but of um, the the government and, and, and civilian sector as well. So we could see shakeups within the National Security and Defense Council, the general staff, the defense ministry. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some shakeups, for example, in um, his cabinet of ministers. And um, that could include uh, some, some movement in the foreign ministry. It could include um, uh, folks who were focused on on the economy. Um, you know, I think I think that we're going to see this uh, happen very soon. Um, you know, we, as you mentioned at the top, we were we were planning. We being myself, journalist, and also Ukrainian civil society, and many Western observers really plugged in uh, to, to to Ukraine. We were expecting that after the initial reporting on Monday of Zeluzhny's dismissal, that we would see this shakeup happen within days. Uh, the latest. I, I, I heard um, over the weekend was that this did not happen because Zelensky is still working out uh, who would be the replacement for Zaluzhny and who would replace the, the other personnel that he might dismiss. So on that matter, I would say, uh, and I'll keep this short, that the leading contenders to replace Zaluzhny are the ground forces commander, Alexander Sirsi, and the uh, head of the uh, military intelligence directorate, Kirill Budanov. Um, both of them are very skilled operators. Um, Budanov doesn't have the uh, army command experience that Zaluzhny and Sirsky has, but he has been uh, very effective in his role uh, as, as the uh, military intelligence chief carrying out covert operations. But he is someone that Ukraine's Western partners uh, make or are nervous about um, because he's a bit more unpredictable. Um, his manner of, of, of warfare is the more covert style. It's very brazen and bold. Um, Sirsky might be a safer option is what many of my Western contacts are, are telling me because of his experience as an army commander. However, he's not as popular as Zeluzhny is among the rank and file troops. And many soldiers blame him for decisions on the battlefield. Uh, that saw many thousands of Ukrainian soldiers, including many experienced ones, uh, killed or wounded, particularly in the Battle for Bakhmut. So I'll, I'll stop there, but um, come to your, uh, uh, your your second the second part of your question here. Um, do I think that uh, I think you asked if, if uh, you know Zeluzhny departs, how how serious the repercussions might be? And I sort of suggested at the end there that they could be serious. I think it depends on the replacement. Um, you know, if it's someone who is well respected by Ukrainian civil society and at, just as importantly by uh, the rank and file military, then I, I'm not sure there would be a huge disruption. Ukraine is already in this, uh, what Zelensky himself has called a new phase of the war, right? They're really trying to, to reinvigorate the fight. And, you know, breathing some new life into it is not necessarily a bad thing. This would not be the first time that a top general was shuffled in wartime. Um, again, you know, Zelensky has had some luck in shuffling around his cabinet previously. Um, you know, it's not led to, to disaster in any way. 
Um, I think really it's going to, to matter quite a lot how Zelensky ends up handling this situation with Zeluzhny. If he's able to find a position for Zeluzhny to move into, um, if he does it in a, a publicly respectful manner, that actually matters a lot to Ukrainian civil society, I think, as well as the military. Um, you know, that's going to have a big impact uh, going forward. Um, I, I haven't heard that the West is, uh, and, and the United States in particular, are, are deeply uncomfortable with this, but they are nervous about, um, you know, just who might replace Zeluzhny in this, in this instance um, and, and their qualifications. Well, thanks, Chris. That's that's really an amazingly clear and, and comprehensive, you know, description of both what has led up to this and and you know and what 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 might happen when and, and what the effects might be. Just one sort of minor um, side question on that is: Do you think that this kind of the fact that it's been a week since uh, since the meeting between Zeluzhny and Zelensky and um, do you think that 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 may sort of help soften the blow? I mean, for Ukrainians in general, you know, when and if Zeluzhny is you know is dismissed, um, and that's now it's kind of expected, so people are thinking about it, and um, it may have less of a kind of a shock effect um, that that might hurt morale both in the military and and, and among civilians, or is that not really a factor? No, I think I think that is. I think you're right. I, I, you know, if if Zelensky would have dismissed Zeluzhny on Monday, as we reported and and expected, that would have seemed like much more of a shock. Um, you know, being here in Kiev, that really was what many people, everybody I was on the phone with, or, or I saw in public, was talking about. And people were writing to me, not only my sources, but Ukrainian friends, asking me, "What do you know? What's going on? Is it really happening?" And I, and I, it was met. <clears throat> with great shock here even though there had been tensions between the two now for for months the better part of a year even um so in a way i think this playing out over time um might might lessen the uh the, the blow to the public and the military but also what ukrainian civil society is really good at doing actually is applying pressure to their leadership and sort of guiding them into making um a a, a more uh palatable decision or a better decision even um, at times, you know, and so this could uh, force Zelensky to to think uh, a little bit longer, a little bit harder about the decision and who is going to replace Zeluzhny. And so instead of just appointing someone who um, may may have been viewed as a uh, strong ally of his, but someone not widely respected by society and the military, you know, now I'm hearing names um, uh, that are being floated that are. Uh, possible compromise candidates, I would call them, who are not viewed necessarily as a Zelensky person, a person or as a Luzhny person, but people who are very qualified, have a lot of military experience, who are career military people, and do have the respect of um, both civil society and the military. Um, so one one name I can I can tell you, and this is absolutely not um, confirmed, and 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 as far as I know, um, as recently as this this morning, Monday Monday morning, um, February fifth. Uh, a decision has not been made on who will replace Zaluzhny. But names like Oleksandr um, um, uh, Pavluk, um, who is the former uh, commander of the Joint Forces operation in eastern Ukraine before the full-scale invasion, and later was, made, was, was named by Zelensky as the um, Kiev regional military um, uh, governor, and then went back to the general staff. He's somebody who's being discussed now as a uh, potential replacement. So 
Um, you know, this is, I think, now playing out um, over, this has been, what, one, one week now? Um, I think it's allowed Zelensky time to, uh, you know, better assess the situation. Um, certainly, it's, it's, it's been enough time for civil, so civil society and the military also to come to terms with the fact that it does seem inevitable. Zeluzhny is on his way out. Um, and to, to offer their own, uh, you know, potential replacements. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I think it's, it's going to happen uh, relatively soon um, at this point. I don't think, you know, the president can come out publicly in an interview on, you know, European television uh, and, and say that he is planning on um, this major shakeup, including that of his, his uh, top general, um, and then wait uh, weeks or, or months to do it. So um, it could be relatively soon. That's only that makes sense, Chris. Uh, thanks very much for that for that additional information. Very insightful. Um, now, the other question I, I wanted to ask is, is obviously uh, very close, well, closely linked, um, having to do with with the future of of the war and, and Ukraine's defense. Um, and I'd like to also draw on your experience and your reporting. Um, uh, for insight on this situation surrounding aid to Ukraine and particularly U.S. aid, U.S. weapons. A proposal for $61 billion or so in mostly military aid to Ukraine uh, has been stymied in Congress for a month in the U.S. Congress. It's now tied to the issue of immigration reform and uh, calls for changes at the U.S. border with Mexico. Um, as well as aid to Israel and others, that that might be changing. Uh, there's now a proposal from Republicans for a separate uh, Israel uh, aid bill. Um, but in any case, it's far from clear whether this proposal will ever be approved. And in fact, uh, the latest uh, development in the U.S. is that um, the details of the of of the border, um, uh, the border reform and immigration reform package were released yesterday. Um, This is following negotiations in in the Senate. Uh, And there's expected to be a vote in the Senate on this, I believe, this week. But the uh, Speaker of the House, Republican Mike Johnson, says that this will be dead on arrival if if it makes it to the House of Representatives. So um, obviously that leaves uh, the fate of 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 U.S. aid to Ukraine, um, perhaps even deeper in doubt than than it was. Um, so, uh, I, but basically, what what I'd like to ask Chris is is how much uh, you know, and this has been going on for months. But how how much would you say that this uncertainty is affecting Ukraine's plans for its continued defense against Russia? And how would you describe the mood in Ukraine among soldiers, civilians, politicians? Um, as you as Russia's full-scale invasion approaches the two-year mark later this month. Well, it's it's having quite a big impact on Ukraine's military and its and its ability to plan for the future. Right now, it's in this state of active defense where it's building new fortifications across the front line and 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 sort of working to reboot itself after suffering tens of thousands of casualties and and losing a lot of military equipment. Um, what it would like to plan for is a, a large influx and sustained influx of of Western military assistance. A lot of that coming from the United States. One just important thing to, to to note here is that it's it's the United States upon which Ukraine really relies for military assistance because it's it's America that has 
the, the much larger stocks of artillery and other ammunition that Ukraine really needs to continue its fight. Um, the EU is, is crucial in, in providing um, financial support um, to keep Ukraine and its government afloat. Um, so this, uh, you know, contentious um, bill in Congress is, is critical for, for, for Kiev right now. Um, it needs to be able to plan, um, if it does mobilize uh, hundreds of thousands of troops, as, being, uh, as is being debated here in Kiev, it needs to plan on, um, you know, how, how to train those soldiers. And, um, you know, that training in the past has been um, not only uh, domestic here um, among Ukraine's military, but also outsourced um, to the West. Uh, you know, Western Western armies and, and, and including American troops have trained uh, Ukrainian soldiers and they would like to continue that. Um, they also need this weaponry not only to defend themselves, but to go on any future counteroffensive. They're going to need 155 millimeter um, artillery shells. They're going to need more, um, you know, heavy, heavily armored uh, vehicles. Um, they're going to need missiles, rockets, all of those things. Um, and, and, and they're planning on and girding themselves for a for a long war here, um, you know they are under no illusions that they're going to be able to retake territory from the Russians uh, in the next couple of months or few months. This is a, a war that is likely to play out now over um, many more years, even. Uh, and and this um, influx of, of billions of dollars worth of military equipment um, is is critical for them planning. Uh, what their army will do in, in, in the future. Now, that also has a huge impact on the mood among the military and civil society. The Ukrainians are watching very closely what's happening in Congress, and they are, of course, very nervous about the prospect of, of this bill not being passed. You know, I think a lot of them um, uh, are very upset with the Republican Party, who uh, looks as though they are playing politics here. They are frustrated by a President Trump that is exerting his influence over Republicans in Congress to hold up this bill, as it would give uh, potentially Joe Biden a public political victory. Um, you know, Ukrainians are very skeptical of Donald Trump because during his presidency, he made that now infamous phone call to Zelensky, exerting political pressure on him to open investigations into uh, President Joe Biden and his son Hunter in Ukraine. So they're watching um, with, with, with frustration, with anger. Um, soldiers on the front line who I speak to regularly have told me that every day that goes by is, is counted um, not only on the calendar, but also in the loss of Ukrainian lives. So, so they are not able to properly defend themselves. They're having already to ration their artillery. They were firing, for example, several months ago, last summer included, um, hundreds of artillery shells uh, per small artillery unit every single day. Now they are firing anywhere between five, six to 20, not many more than that. Um, that doesn't do a lot for them um, uh, in, in terms of their defense. They certainly cannot go on the offense using um, that small amount of weaponry. Uh, so it's 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 an incredibly uh, frustrating moment for them, and it is uh, you know inevitably having an impact on um, their ability to uh, uh, carry out their tasks on the battlefield, but also on their morale. I would I would sum up the the mood by saying it's one of of exhaustion. Um, people are tired. This war has gone on now not only for for two years um, at the scale in which we've we've been reporting on and, and, and witnessing, but, but for longer. It's now 10 years since Russia 
first began its military aggression against Ukraine by annexing, invading and annexing Crimea, and then uh, you know, covertly uh, in invading the eastern regions of Donetsk and Lugansk. So this is now, you know, just just a, a grinding war of attrition. People here are tired. Um, they really do want um, the West's help. They see this not only as their war, but them essentially being on the front lines of a much larger war that is going to um, greatly impact the security of, of Europe and the collective West. All right. Well, thanks very much for that, Chris. Uh, uh, for that assessment, sounds very frank. Um, uh, and I appreciate. I mean, I think it's always good to point out uh, that this war is not two years old, but you know, as you say, ten years old. Um, the uh, the the occupation invasion of of Crimea, you know, uh, was 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 10 years ago, uh, began 10 years ago this month. So, um, you know, and that, and that's something that, that, you know, obviously has weighed on the country for, you know, for, for a decade. Uh, so, but thanks very much, uh, uh, for your assessment of, of sort of the mood and the, the, the situation with morale, um, in, in connection with, with the, with the uncertainty about aid and also for your, your excellent, uh, description of, of the, the situation surrounding, um, uh, the what you know what may be the the um, imminent departure of the commander in chief. Uh, so I think I will uh, wrap it up here. Uh, Ken, thanks very much for joining me, Chris. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, great to to speak with you again. All right, you too. Uh, once again, I've been speaking to Christopher Miller, Ukraine correspondent for the Financial Times, and the author of the book "The War Came to Us: Life and Death in Ukraine." And my name is Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the Central Newsroom at RFERL. This has been The Week Ahead in Russia. Our theme music is Nyestrelai, or Don't Shoot, a song from the early 1980s by Yuri Shevchuk and DDT. Please be sure to check out my newsletter, The Week in Russia, which covers the latest developments in Russian politics and society, as well as Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Subscribe by visiting www.rferl.org.